Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Leah. And this is Let's Talk Outdoors. Today we are chatting with Elizabeth about the One School, One Farm Shelter Belt Project, the importance of real-life learning and getting outside. Elizabeth's background is in biology and ecology, and she specializes in outdoor education of all kinds. Elizabeth works as an interpreter at the Brightwater Science, Environmental, and Indigenous Learning Center and has her hands in a plethora of environmental initiatives around Saskatchewan. Well, hey, welcome, Elizabeth. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the One School, One Farm project? Okay, so um, my name is Elizabeth Bacoli, and um, I'm an outdoor ecological educator, and my, but I have a different kind of background. So a lot of people doing um, nature-based education have a background in education, and mine is mostly in biology. And um, so One School, One Farm kind of came together as an inspiration that is a way to take action that blends all of my passions, which is um, like ecological design and education. And what is One School, One Farm? Um, okay, so I'm just going to read you the vision because um, it's kind of like a, a, a big project. So One School, One Farm connects schools with farms in their region in order to foster relationships and plant eco-buffer shelter belts and or prairie strips. And so an eco-buffer is um, kind of a new version of a shelter belt. So most people in Saskatchewan knows what a shelter belt is, but an eco-buffer is a design that is consciously implemented to uh, host more biodiversity. Um, And a prairie strip is for areas where trees won't flourish. And so you would plant those prairie species in order to sequester carbon in say like deep rooted grasses and flowers that also support soil health and uh, pollinator uh, populations. And so the mission for One School, One Farm is to actively co-create solutions to the climate and biodiversity crises through the planting of biodiverse, regionally appropriate shelter belt habitats that host pollinators, sequester carbon, provide food species, transpire water, and reduce erosion and drought. And also to build relationships between the kind of growing urban and rural population gaps and to increase ecological literacy in the school system. Wow, that is a very uh, well thought out and ambitious mission and vision. Can you tell us more about how you came up with this idea? It was a by chance coming together of family and friends. Um, and we were, we were actually in ceremony and praying. and. Um, we were in an area where there had been a whole bunch of drained wetlands and I kept kind of focusing on that. And then just like, kind of like a flash of light, it all kind of came together, the whole, um, the whole idea and just right in those words, one school, one farm, shelter belt project. And so when, when, uh, you know, when there's kind of lightning like that, that it's you, you kind of feel a bit of responsibility to um, do something about it and follow through, even though I wasn't really sure how to initially. Um, so I just put out there amongst my friends, um, just this idea. And before long, we had the most incredible board of 
amazing people that are helping guide the process. I think that's something that's really rare about you where like you have this idea or this inspiration and then you just click, not click, maybe it's more than just a click, but you, you pursue it and you go for it, which I think is really something that more people need to do when they have those kind of moments of facing a problem, facing an issue, and then being like, this is something that I can see benefit. So when School One Farm is a fairly new initiative, is that right? Yeah, so our, our board just came together in 2019, and our first pilot project was supposed to run that spring before COVID hit and shut everything down. But that gave us all time to, um, I guess, just learn more and build more relationships amongst the people involved and plan for the following year. So we just had our first pilot projects this past spring, 2021, and then one in the fall um, this year as well. Can you tell us more about those projects? Uh, for sure. So um, this is kind of goofy, but uh, we really like to blend the names of the land stewards and the schools because I don't know why, the name kind of just helps <laughs> to build community and it's fun. And so the first pilot project was between uh, a called Vic Victoria School, the teachers Ben Oaken, and uh, Grovenland Farm, which is one of only, I think, three regenerative farms that I know of in Saskatchewan right now. And uh, so their project is called Grow Victoria. And, um, and Ben is a very energetic teacher who really likes to have the students lead a lot of their learning. So it was awesome to see that they had come up with the idea themselves to use Minecraft to design the eco buffer shelter belt. <laughs> and I mean, I'm it's a learning process, right? So ecology is my background. I, I'm a plant person. So I gave them a huge list of plants that I guess looking back on it, it was a little bit intimidating <laughs> and overwhelming <laughs> to have to like research every plant I sent them to choose different things for their designs. And then they got to present their designs to uh, Lisa and Ben from Grovenland. And then Lisa and Ben picked the ones they liked. And that whole process was amazing. And I'm glad we learned a lot about it. When it came to planting day for that particular project, um, the kids got to learn that, yeah, looking at something on paper and putting it into reality, they're two very different things, okay? And especially when you have time limits right because you have the, the school day and we even had an extended school day but you have the school day and the bus trip and so you might want to plant like 500 trees but, but there's limitations in time and ability and that sort of thing and it rained that day at the end of the day and then Grovenland never got another drop of rain until mid-August and so drought was another thing we hadn't anticipated. But looking forward, we'll probably plan for drought and just try to ensure that the plantings will have all the support that they need. Um, our second pilot project was between Walter uh, Murray School, uh, two classes at Walter Murray, uh, Brian Thorstad's grade nine class and um, the outdoor school class. And so we call their project Walter Restoration because they're connected with a project called Restoring 71. And so there it was more of a prairie strip they were planting. So Walter Murray 
took the initiative to uh, grow all the plants that were going to be planted out wow. at Restoring 71. So starting from seed. Um, so Samantha Gunn and I were able to help them get started with their native plant nursery. And then they grew all the plants, brought them out there, planted them out. And those were the ones that through the drought, they had the most success. Um, so that was also like everything that we're doing right now in these initial steps there, it's all helping us learn. It's helping us learn more about the different types of soils, uh, the different plants that will do well. And the education piece around that is, is so huge. Um, and then this fall, of course, we had, uh, Michael Pebbles class, uh, off the grid that came out to Camp Wolf Willow and we call them Tommy Willow Camp which is really, really fun. And they were a really fun class to have out there. Um, and that's, uh, I, I sent you guys a, um, a design that will be for that project uh, coming up because uh, that was a relatively new match and they had just met uh, once and hadn't, and it was, since it was a fall planting, the students hadn't had a lot of time to do a lot of pre-planning for the project, but because the land stewards already had an idea of what they wanted to plant, um, it made it easy just to set up a day and have them come out. But now that relationship is started and then they can work together into the future um, what they'd like to plant out there each time they go. And that was such a neat experience having the kids go out there yeah, just a full day of planting and learning about the trees. And yeah, it was a really neat day. And great to have you helping facilitate that partnership too. Um, in your opinion, how important is this type of learning given the current state of our planet? Okay, yeah, I think that this type of learning is absolutely essential learning. <clears throat> so if we are accepting and acknowledging that we are indeed living in a climate crisis and that the impacts that we have anticipated through models are upon us now. The only way to create a hopeful and positive outcome is to act now in accordance with what nature needs. And so how can students, uh, the decision makers of the future, grow this wisdom if they aren't out there looking at soil, holding it, comparing healthy soils to degraded soils, and witnessing how quickly and beautifully a site can transition from an area lacking in healthy diversity to a functioning ecosystem. And this is like, this is inspired learning. It's really like soul enriching and invigorating. And I think it's, it's really more important than worksheets right now. I think teachers are so, they hang on tight to things that they've done and, and lessons that they know work for getting this outcome achieved. But I think, and so there's always a bit of risk involved with, with doing something like this or taking on a partnership like this. But I, I think it's exactly that. It's seeing kids learning out there like that with no, sometimes no direction or they're, they're asking their own questions and it sounds super cheesy. And it's like one of those, again, it could be a commercial for something to do with this, but you know, like kids are like covered in, in mud or dirt and they're just beaming. And these are older kids, not like little tanks, even though they'd be right in there too. But then they ask really great questions, you know, like, why are we planting this tree? Like, why are we doing this all in a row? Or are we going to expand this or what's next? I think those are just things that open up. 
it, it pushes the teacher to be uncomfortable, but, and, but it makes such a better experience for a, a student. And I think it's really, it's okay for the teacher. I think it's really important for the teachers to see how well students react to you not knowing and not having the answers and sharing that discovery with them. Because I think that like shared discovery with students is, it's just helpful for everybody's growth. And mm -hmm. so it's okay to start something without not, without knowing how it's going to turn out necessarily. And that can be part of your assessment also, right? Absolutely. You can, you can fit your assessment into, into that learning as for the class as a whole. A really good, good mentor of mine once said that if you're doing things right, you're probably going to feel like a fraud the majority of your teaching career. You're, try, <laughs> you're trying new things. You don't know the answers to everything. It's kind of so like, yeah, that's good. Matt Love. That was Matt Love. He used to uh, run a collective voice program. Yeah, my son yeah. was in that program. I love, I love Matt. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a great way to model lifelong learning, I think, when we're not showing that adults always know the answer, but that adults mm -hmm. are always continuing to learn and question our own ways of thinking. Yeah, and that they can teach and the students can teach you something too. Yeah, definitely. What's the vision for the relationship between the, the schools and classes and the farms? Is it like they, the classes help make the plan and they go out and help with the planting and, and then what happens? Um, so the vision is that it would be a kind of a long-term relationship. And I guess, I guess some things aren't totally decided yet. Um, the way that I had envisioned it would be that, because I understand that teachers are the drivers of things in schools often. Um, so I thought it would be more of like a, a long-term relationship between that teacher and that land steward going forward. So, and that, and that could uh, lead to so many different projects, like looking way down the road um, like if there's a, a, a land steward that has a market garden, maybe that school also has a farm to school nutrition program, right? Um, so, I mean, it's, it can become, I don't want to have too many parameters around it because I want it to be open enough to grow and become whatever the teachers and schools and land stewards anticipate it to be. Uh, as an organization, the the goals that we have to stick to, I guess the box that we have to stick to is that the, the projects that will support um, have to show a, an increase in biodiversity on the site, like on, on the land steward site, whether it's the farm or restoration area or First Nations. Um, and, and the students, uh, we'd like the students to be part of monitoring that. So monitoring the health of the plantings, uh, the amount of biodiversity that comes from that in time, right? Because as you have areas that go from, say, like a monoculture or just like an, uh, an empty field or a field of brome grass to an area that has multiple species, like you'll see differences. And so just for the kids to be able to see that and be part of that is, that's, that's one of our goals to show yeah, to be able to calculate how much carbon is being sequestered, right? What species are we seeing there that we didn't see there before? Yeah. I think it's neat that you are constantly pushing to have natural prairie plants put back into the into these places where they've been removed. Um, 
And like you said before, I think they just are so much more resilient because they've been around so much longer. But I know even my students, as we were planted, they're like, oh, she really likes native plants, doesn't she? She keeps she talking about them. <laughs> like, yeah, I think there's a reason for that passion. I think it's neat to, neat to see you pushing for that. What are you looking for when you are making the partners, but partnerships between classes and farms? Um, so we're going to have to come up with more of a, uh, a guideline for that. So far, it's been um, intention, I guess, and interest. So we don't want to push this on anybody who isn't interested in carrying it forward. We, we want our partners to be people that are really passionate about, um, about these, uh, I guess, goals. So really passionate about uh, mitigating climate change, really passionate about biodiversity, and really passionate about giving kids this chance to be active citizens, right? So that, that part, uh, I think, is what has brought people together. And that's why there's such a glue uh, within the organization because everybody's there for the right reason. Um, I mean, initially I envisioned, you know, going out there to the biggest farms in, in Saskatchewan and being like, yeah, you guys, like we just right here, right here. We need a <laughs> big, a bunch of plants. I know that there's no room to get your combine around it, but that's what we need right here. Um, but I understand that, you know, we will attract, we'll attract who we attract based on where they are at. And, um, and I think that's really important, right? Because we want, we want to have a really good momentum and we want it to feel really good to the kids. We want the, the students to feel really welcome and supported in the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's one of the things that's so rewarding about this too, is that and when you're teaching about climate change in the classroom, sometimes you feel like you're doing all these lessons on like, this is the dangerous stuff. This is the crappy stuff happening all over the place. And at the end of the day, the kids are just getting more anxious because they're like, well, what can we do? But like, there's, what can we do about it? Like we're mm -hmm. one class, it's winter. Like, what can we possibly be doing to help this out besides pushing politicians? And yeah. so this is such a neat outlet for them to, to be having that as they can plan in the winter, they can kind of, and then have this action project and this partnership they can carry on with. Yeah, I agree totally. Is this program meant for outdoor and environmental education programs, or can it be tailored as an experience for any classroom? I'd say definitely tailored for any classroom. Um, I think there might be a limit in age range, possibly but I think there can be partnerships uh, between younger classes and older classes, maybe that's a possibility. Um, so just in terms of, um, of ability, I think even like grade three students could get in there, you know, and do quite a bit of planting, right? Um, I think it's helpful if you have younger students with older students. And I think that's what um, one of our future projects between uh, Rennie Grills with Blazing Star Wildflower Seed Company, and um, he hopes to work with Aberdeen School. And there's two teachers, a grade two teacher and a grade five teacher that want to bring their kids out together, to just kind of watch over the years, you know, how the plantings grow and have that part of their 
their plan for the year. Um, so I think, I think that would be the goal is just to have it open to, to anybody that's interested. I like that idea a lot of the kids being able to see things progress, even as they get older, if they're in grade one and then they get to see it in grade five again, that's such a cool thing for them yeah. to see too. Yeah, definitely. Cause then there's that, yeah, continuum, which is, I mean, we, I think we'll just have to uh, brainstorm even as a group and as a community on how to, how to ensure that the kids get to come back at some point. Mm-hmm. Do you see school boards uh, and directors making this part of the programming in the future or? Um, you, yeah, I, I, I really hope so. Um, I, I see that right now there are quite a few that are getting on like the tree planting train, which is awesome. It's a great train to be on, wanting all their kids to be planting trees and seeing that that's really beneficial and even just like mental health, uh, you know, just that action. Um, but of course then my ecologist brain comes in and I'm just like, okay, well, we just gotta make sure we, you know, plant the right species in the right places and ensure that they're going to survive and that sort of thing and have all the teaching around that. Like why, well, why do we pick this plant put here instead of that one? Like it can get into everything, right? Like soils and, and history and natural history and math. And how do you do that? How do you plan for drought, something like drought, which we're expecting to happen more on the prairies into the future now uh, with, climate, with climate change? So how do you plan for that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, so um, that's actually one part of the project that I haven't talked about yet is uh, we also plan to have a plant nursery of our own because there's not enough plants for the amount of planting that has to happen. And um, we're, we're looking at climate models and seeing like what our area is going to be like. We're forecast to be like in say 20, 30 years. We're starting to anticipate the species we might have to start planting here that are just from a little further south in, in some cases. And also looking at some of the stresses on some of the species. So. Uh, we just had a meeting about um, start like growing some plants here that are becoming more endangered in their own range because of either insect infestation or climate pressure. And so in Saskatchewan, like we have, we actually have the opportunity to almost become like have these little hubs that are far away from other places where we can put different species almost as like a safety store right <laughs> to help um keep them keep them safe from from other pressures outside um but with that said like our planning definitely there has to be uh watering as part of the plan for when we are planting these um these eco buffers or these shelter belts until they're established and that's why we're also really um selective for the species that we would plant because we want to plant plants that are very drought tolerant or drought resistant, if that's where they are, right? Um, we, we also plan for more water too. So depending on where you are, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, that's, that's part of the learning is, is realizing, oh, we can't have one or two designs that we share amongst all our groups, right? Each site has to be assessed as its own small ecosystem. 
and and the pressures that that site might feel in the future, right? It might be drought, it might be flooding, it might, you know, depending on where it is in the province. Really neat. (laughs) (laughs) You've certainly, as a as a small farmer myself who's been trying to plant shelter belts, all of a sudden I'm reconsidering everything that, I, that I've been striving for and, and rethinking um, or thinking that my, my own thinking is maybe a little outdated and that I need to do some more learning about species and ways of planting things that are, are more in line with my values and what I wanna see on our property going forward. So I look forward to learning more. Mm-hmm. Definitely, we'd love to have you on as either land steward or teacher or both (laughs) would be great um on that note how can people get involved and support one school one farm so um as we stand right now we are a completely volunteer run organization and that in itself kind of limits our growth and our ability um but they can send an email to one school, one farm at gmail.com and will most likely get a reply from me <laughs> when I have time. <laughs> and, um, and then they get put on a waiting list until we find the right match for them. So we try not to, um, we try not to make a match happen just because there's two people that are interested, right? We want to make sure that it's one that that seems like it's going to work long-term. And so far, most of that has been kind of intuitive, but also it has to do with region. Of course, we don't want to go more than a hundred kilometers if we can, you know, from the school. Um, So that sometimes limits some of the the relationships that we can foster. Um, But with that said, we are like there is funding right now for this sort of thing. So we're going to be applying for more funding and hopefully soon we'll have maybe a staff member that can also help to really make this grow. Cause um, I think that's what's going to be needed. Cause we, we'd like to have, you know, projects in every different school division and even across all the prairies eventually. Um, so that, that'll just take, that'll take more people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's, you know, so many of these initiatives often rely on volunteers like yourself and mm-hmm. people put in so much time for nothing or for, for little, no pay. I should say not for nothing. There's lots of good things about it. But I think yeah. you're right. I'm hoping this is a transitional time where now we're going to start recognizing that this is such vital work and governments put money into this sort of stuff. So absolutely. I think we <laughs> might as well talk, if it's okay with you, Elizabeth, might as well talk a little bit about Brightwater. Yeah. Uh, in your current role. Uh, I know for talking around, it's hard to book into Brightwater, which is an area around Saskatoon or a, a, a really cool place around Saskatoon. Um, but you are best known for, by many Saskatoon students as the Brightwater lady. Uh, <laughs> how did you how did you end up into this role? OK, so I had to write this out a little bit um, just because it's, it's a story. If We have time for a little bit of a story. Okay, so um, I, I was living in Prince Albert and I, I signed up for the um, certificate in ecological education and thought, okay, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, I was always already a young mom and um, I, I spent that time for my internship with the outdoor school in Prince Albert. So I thought, okay, perfect. Chris is going to retire in four years. 
And I'm going to go to Saskatoon, get my ed degree, come back, and I'll teach outdoor school in Prince Albert. Perfect life plan. So got to Saskatoon, and halfway through, I decided, you know, I don't know enough to teach high school biology. I, I just I want to stay in biology. So I stayed in biology, and every day I would take this, the bus to school, and I'd see this man in a big parka. And so, and like, like an exceptional parka, right? The kind <laughs> that you notice. And so eventually we sat together and he introduced himself and he was the director of Beaver Creek Conservation Area, which is in the same valley as Brightwater and asked what I was studying. And I told him biology and he said, ah, you know, you should apply for the summer student um, job. And so I did, and I worked at Beaver Creek for the summer. And then that fall, Marsha Klein from Brightwater called over to Beaver Creek and said, do you have anybody? I need some facilitators. And Andrew said, Elizabeth's looking for work. Anyway, that was 2005. And I've been there off and on ever since. And which is so good because I never planned on staying in Saskatoon. I planned on going back to Prince Albert and being closer to, you know, the trees and the lakes and that sort of thing. So um, it's nice that I get to work in a valley. I feel really privileged to be able to work in the valley and do the work that I've always wanted to, which is helping, you know, helping students really connect more deeply with nature. And yeah, it's been really good. That should be a commercial for Saskatoon Transit as well. <laughs> Partnerships you make. Take the bus. <laughs> you might get your dream job. <laughs> Just kidding. I yeah. Any uh, just about Brightwater though. For if people don't know what it is, it is um, it's the Saskatoon Public School Division Outdoor Education Center, and the in, the complete title is Brightwater Science, Environmental, and Indigenous Learning Center. And so on the site, we we have um, we mix different ways of knowing in in the ways that we teach. So we we completely support. Um, are like traditional knowledge keepers and ceremonial keepers on site. And um, we're just working, we're, we're working on working closer and closer together to bring about those perspectives so that it's, it's when it started 30 years ago, it was focused mostly on Western science, ecological knowledge, and now um, definitely it's more holistic and um, yeah, supports all ways of knowing. Feel pretty proud to be part of it. I think kids are always excited to go to Brightwater, the highlight of their year. So, yeah, which says a lot, I think, about the need for more outdoor education because they get so excited. And the main thing about it is, well, they're around people like you who know a lot about the land and how to learn off of it. But two, it's just a day that you know, no matter what, you're going out to spend time outside, um, mm -hmm. which away from like a playground. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a place where there's, yeah, an actual ecosystem, <laughs> right? yeah. <Like> it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it feels pretty good. And, and the kids are, yeah, the kids are always so happy. I think that helps their learning, right? Happiness helps them remember. Mm -hmm. It is currently January and so it's winter. Can you tell us a bit about some of the winter programming things that you do at Brightwater? Yeah, definitely. So uh, depending on what the teacher would like to do. So we have several facilitators and usually in a day for the best learning, we break up the class of 30 into three groups. 
um, so that we have small groups throughout the day. Uh, they usually do an art session. And so that is the, you know, when it's minus 30, that's the only session that's fully inside, but it, it gives them a break from the cold. Um, and then usually they have an ethnobotany session because uh, we have uh, a woman, Sandra Walker, who is an author and ethnobotanist and archaeologist that works with us out there. Um, and they might meet with an elder around the fire. Uh, so usually Tim Ashapi will meet with a group and tell stories around the fire outside. And then for me, I, I pick up whatever the teacher is working on, you know, grade six to 11 in their science to support whatever they're doing. So usually it has to do a lot with um, biodiversity and adaptation to winter. So we learn a lot about the snow and subnivian life and the species that just live out there. Um, so we'll do this via snowshoes if there's enough snow uh, or just hiking and sliding down beaver slides. and. Um, I like to follow the student's lead too, because if I, I mean, I've been doing this a long enough time. I, I don't like having a, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a script. Um, so I like to really build off what the students are interested in on our hike. And that make, keeps it really new for me too. Which is so important when you've been doing it for a while and every day, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, like you could never know anything about that. You know, it's it's not very big. There's 160 acres in a valley, but I'm learning new things all the time. <laughs> and you get to play a lot of games in the wood too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We play we play a lot of tag. I'm really competitive still, and I'm just hoping I don't hurt myself because I'm getting <laughs> older. And trying. It's a full to sprint. It's a full sprint through woods <laughs> and over logs. Like yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> risky play. That's the healthy risky play. Part risky of it. play. Yeah. I wonder if that'll work for workers' comp. If I <laughs> <laughs> that won't happen. No. You seem to have a gift um, of coming up with new ideas and launching projects out of them. Do you have any tips for educators or other community members who might have an idea? but they just don't know how to get their idea started? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. Um, I guess the first thing I'd say is just like, just really connect with your idea in like how important it is to you. Um, because I think that if, you're, if your heart is fully in it and you see it's important and you can communicate its importance, so like writing it down, writing it out, knowing all the ways to describe the idea, because um, communication is also a huge part of sharing an idea and getting people <clears throat> to come on board with your idea and then and then share it with people that you admire. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know. At least that's what I did, <laughs> because um, getting feedback from people that you look up to um, can be really encouraging and it can be really guiding to on on where to go forward with your idea that sounds like really good advice and then there's a whole lot of hard work i imagine <laughs> oh oh gosh yeah like i'm not a, a web-based person very much but i figured out how to start a website like i've had a business for 10 years and i don't have a website for my business but i 
made a website for one school one part <laughs> <laughs> because I needed to figure out how to communicate it. And it seems like if something has a website, it's more legitimate. My business probably seems still less legitimate than one school, one farm because of the website. Yes. Unique. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're kind of nearing the end here now, but one question we'd like to ask each of our, or a couple of questions we'd like to ask each of our guests, but one of them is, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? I would make sure that no peatlands are ever dug into again. So that means that all potting soil would have to be peat free. <laughs> That's very specific, <laughs> but it's so important. And I'll just let people do their own research as to why that would be my one wish. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And another question we like to ask everyone is where is your favorite place to visit outdoors in Saskatchewan? Wyakwin Lake. Um, that's where we have a small A-frame cabin. That's where I spent a lot of time growing up. And it's just a really beautiful area nestled in like a very old growth boreal forest. Forest that we don't see very much of anymore. Mm -hmm. well, sounds lovely. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time um and for for joining us for, to talk about the all the great work that you're doing um and the connections that you're making in the community in saskatchewan and uh and yeah opening up some opportunities for for people to get their hands dirty too awesome yeah thank you for having me Leah, did you have any takeaways there, from your we'll, conversation we'll with edit Elizabeth? This out, but is there other like ways? I was of quite interested in learning about ecological buffers. I've wrote down kind of alternatives or uh, leveling up shelter belts on a property. So I'm interested to learn more about those. And she had shared with us some images that she'd put together for some of the projects. So I expect I will spend some time having a look and seeing what other species I can include in my own plantings on my farm. Mike, what was your biggest takeaway from our conversation with Elizabeth? Mike, what was your biggest like takeaway from our conversation with Elizabeth? I like the way Elizabeth described how Elizabeth. to launch a new idea. I like the way Elizabeth described first how to launch, explaining it and expressing it to people you admire. I think that's a really important part of, yeah, launching something new um, and something I often skip a step and just go right to the people who I want to pitch the idea to. So I think that's, a, that's something I've got to take into consideration more and, and yeah, have those conversations more in my life. Well, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe and give us a review on whatever podcasting service that you are listening to. And, uh, you know, maybe send it to a friend. If you if you listen to this and you thought, hey, that was pretty interesting, send it to somebody else that you think would be interested in listening. And that would help us out a lot. Uh, as always, thanks for listening and uh, take care.